Hello everyone, welcome to the Laura Horn Art Podcast. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for all the wonderful support of the latest round of artist interviews. In this week's episode, my guest Simone Linehan talks about letting go of people pleasing and embracing her love of quirky faces, even though they aren't everyone's cup of tea. I've known Sim and admired her work and generous spirit for many years. We both live in the Adelaide Hills and it was extra special to catch up and have a good chin wag. We also talk about Sim's long and wonderful career, from working in graphic design for 30 years to the soulful art classes she now runs for women in her backyard studio. You can find Sim on Instagram at Simone Linehan Artist and over at her website, simonelinehan.com. So now that you know where to find Sim, let's get straight into the episode. The conversation begins with Sim telling us about her creative career and how she got to where she is today. I've always drawn. So mum said, you know, as soon as I could hold a pencil, I was drawing, not on the walls. I guess it is, um, it has been a lifelong process, but drawing and scribbling and, you know, I I absolutely don't think I was one of those children that was highly talented or skilled in the area, but I love doing it. My dad was in the signage industry, so a creative industry, so making large billboards, and my grandfather was a watercolour artist. So there's definitely history in there and there's even, a, I think, a, a great uncle who ex- has exhibited, he's dead now, but um, Gordon Coots in the Art Gallery of South Australia. So there is a little bit of history in my genetics, I guess, to do with art, but I've always drawn. At school I did do art until year nine and in year nine I just felt it was so, I don't know, I I can really remember a teacher telling me exactly what to do and how to do it and even at that young age I thought this doesn't feel authentic. This feels like art is supposed to be coming from me and she was telling me, oh, no, don't do it this way, do it that way. And I actually didn't go back to art in year 10. And then by the end of year 11, I sort of said to mum and dad, look, you know, I'm not really a school person. I'd love to go and get a full-time job. And they were absolutely up for that. They said, that's fine. You need to study as well because I would have only been 15 years old. And it wasn't that I was a bad student. I was a, you know, good B grade, decent student, but school just didn't really suit me. In those days, um, we got jobs through the newspaper and I remember mum coming into my room and she'd cut out a tiny little little thing out of the newspaper saying junior graphic designer wanted or junior in a graphic design studio wanted. So I went along for the interview and they hired me. So very little experience except for my dad had a year earlier decided to go into the graphic design industry and this was like 1988 so we're way back there's no computers everything's done by hand and he taught me how to use a machine called a bromide machine which was how we enlarged photos in a dark room so we enlarged these photographs just in black and white so that we could lay them into our or paste them up into our artwork which then became a printed product eventually but it had to go through you know different processes and it was very 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 different (laughs) to um, how we do it now on the computer. I got the job I worked with these um, beautiful young chaps that you know I say they're young because they were only 30 
in their early 30s when I started working for them, um, Mick and Alan. They taught me so much and I did go and study. I went and studied um, at TAFE night school, so I was working full-time and then studying at TAFE two or three nights a week. So I did that for a couple of years, but I was really learning a lot more on the job um, with the guys in the studio. So every day there'd be a new challenge. We'd have to illustrate something. I spent a lot of time in the dark room making these bromides and it was a fabulous start to my graphic design career. What happened after that? By the time I was 23, I'd been working, you know, sort of eight years, full-time, flat out, had met some amazing people, had learned so much. And, of course, when you're 23, you know everything. So I decided, that's it, I've got enough training, I'm going to go freelance. So I did. I I decided to, yeah, jump ship, go freelance, and I was really lucky. The company that I had been working for um, gave me probably almost a year's or my first year of work with them um, and there were there was another company there that gave me some work as well. So my first year of freelance was a really easy, beautiful ride with supportive, lovely people who are actually all still my friends. All my bosses are still mates of mine, which is lovely. It's quite a long story, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so then, yeah, freelance, I, I met a girl. We decided to go into partnership together. Um, Melinda Parent and we had Parent Linehan so we did that for a couple of years and then at 25 I had my first baby so young Riley and then at 27 I had my second one Ben so I decided that that was a good time to go back just on my own without a partnership so I started working from home rather than our office in North Adelaide and then I just started picking up the most ridiculous amount of fabulous clients. So Ben, my second child was probably only about two. I landed State Theatre as a as a client and then it just rolled. I got Windmill Theatre Company. We were doing stuff for, um, I was doing stuff for ASQ, ASO, actually the ASO I was doing with when I was in the partnership. The String Quartet, it just seemed to be this arts industry just went kaboom and so for 10 years I was doing all this amazing absolutely flat out work for the arts industry so it felt very very grateful very lucky to have all of that beautiful work then I think when my kids were probably about five and seven they started doing a lot of drawing um specifically my oldest son Riley he started drawing and so we started drawing together and I'd sort of forgotten that I loved to draw through, you know, being so busy with graphic design and busy with kids and a hubby and just life. Um, we'd moved to 22 acres up in Iron Bank and we sort of had a little mini farm with some alpacas and goats and ducks and things as well. So life was pretty busy. But Riley and I used to draw quite a lot together and we used to create little characters together, like he'd do part of it and then I'd do part of it. And then I really started to yeah, remember the absolute joy of drawing and how much I adored it. Um, yeah, I just, I, I started doing it myself, you know, without Riley and that was great. Then he and his brother went to a little art class um, for a while with some other kids from school. Um, she got sick and they, yeah, they couldn't go anymore. I think they'd been going for about a year. And so you know, I, I said, well, I can teach you at home. And another one of the mums said, well, I'll bring my kids up and, you know, we'll teach all four kids together if she was an artist too. 
slowly but surely we suddenly had about 40 kids over three or four classes and we accidentally opened this fabulous little kids art class school which we ran for about three or four years up in Ironbank. So in my studio, I had a really beautiful studio that we that was already on the property. And that was absolutely fantastic. And then once a month on a Sunday, we'd teach women. So we'd just have a, a women's art class. And as much as we absolutely love teaching the kids, teaching the women was a whole new level of, oh, I don't know, the experience with them was amazing and we'd been well we still were busy mums so we could understand you know that people really especially women need time out so this was I suppose our way of having time out for ourselves having these beautiful almost little art parties and to give that time back to other women too and to tap back into their creativity that was just so beautiful my husband and I at the time decided to sell the property and so therefore I wasn't going to be able to have the art classes there and I took on a space without my business partner at that point. She decided to do something else. We uh, I opened in Parkside, so on Arnley Road, and I opened my little studio, Hubert and Mavis, and I did have some art classes for kids there, there, there but predominantly it was adults' classes. Um, and I didn't ever say it's just for women, but it does tend to be women that come. I have had a few men through, but it is mainly women. And when I was there, I was producing quite a bit of my own artwork as well. I was still doing graphic design on the side. So life's still very busy, but the kids are getting a bit older now. They're sort of in their teens. Um, So, you know, different sort of busy. Then in my art classes with the women, things were happening, like women were crying or they were emoting, they were, you know, sharing some really deep stuff. And I sort of went, what, you know, what is this? This is something, there's something in this art more than just, you know, creating beautiful pictures. Um, so I went and studied or I did a, just did a diploma of art therapy and that really opened my eyes to the power of art and just how deeply incredibly connected it is with our subconscious and that our subconscious, you know, it rules 90% of our decision-making. And through art, these women are, I don't know, I guess they're just opening up more. They're tapping into, yeah, tapping into that subconscious and their beautiful souls and sometimes back into their childhood. I'd have um, women, you know, signing their artwork with their maiden names, you know, after being married for 60 years or 50 years or whatever and it was quite humorous that you know these really interesting things would happen so that's a really long <laughs> a long a long story <laughs> I hope you I hope that sort of yeah tells you where I'm at yeah it's wonderful to be able to get uh, a sense of how your journey has kind of evolved in a very natural sort of way so one thing led to another one of the things I was wondering is once you did the art therapy course, did the way that you approach your art change? It actually did. Um, it was really interesting because I I started, you know, it's not that I sit there and read my students because art therapy is all about, you know, what this, what the person doing the art gets out of it. I mean, I can read whatever I want into someone else's artwork, but 
that's not necessarily right. It's it's what they're thinking. And so I didn't actually apply it to myself for a little while, but having going through the course, you actually have to do, you know, all the work yourself. And quite often I'd be really busy and I think, oh, I'll just I'll just bash out a quick module this afternoon between, you know, classes or my graphic design work or whatever. And I'd be sitting there in tears going, I didn't even know that that thing in my brain or heart or soul existed. And I can see it now in my artwork. I can see what I'm thinking. So that was the biggest thing for me. I I probably don't approach my art thinking about the deeper thoughts before I create, but as I'm creating or after I've created this, I can I can look into it and go, oh wow, okay, yeah, I can absolutely see where that's come from. So it's been it has been a really amazing awakening to me, you know, just to uncover some things that, you know, we plod through life and, you know, maybe a bit surface level at times, but to be able to sort of really be open to digging a little bit deeper and not being scared of that and being, you know, okay to dig and to, yeah, see see your underside, I suppose, has been really lovely. And, you know, I get quite excited when I produce artwork and, you know, sometimes I look into it and sometimes I just go, oh, well, that's a nice piece and I can just keep it quite surface level for myself. Um, and even in doing that, you know, there's still a, a thought process of why have I kept that surface, surface level? So I do tend to, yeah, think quite, think quite deeply, I suppose. And did it change the way that you approached your classes? Um, the thing that I did with the classes, I um, before COVID I was teaching a specific class which I called Surprise Me. So students would come in, they would have no idea of what the session was going to be. It was a two-and-a-half-hour session and I would uncover, you know, unveil a piece of artwork that I'd produced but I would also, I'd explain technically the artwork but I would always have a deeper meaning. So that's where it really changed. So I guess for me I dived in and I went, okay, so this is what it means for me and you as a student can either take this on as just a technical experience and, you know, producing a beautiful piece of artwork or if you want to dive a little bit deeper, you don't have to share, but you can. You can perhaps think about these things, um, you know, while you're producing your artwork. So, and I have had some students that that has had a really incredibly profound effect on their lives and how they have been able to uncover and and tap into some deeper stuff for them and and some really beautiful healing work mm. within that too. So, yeah, it has it has changed how I teach. and That's incredible. And I've actually had people contact me and talk to me about the experiences that they've had at your studio. So as I mentioned at oh. the beginning, I've had a few people I know come to your workshops and classes and then tell me about it and how meaningful it was for them and, and how much deeper it went than just painting a painting. So I wanted to pass, pass that on to you. As you were talking earlier about how you got to where you are now, I was thinking, wow, how does Sim manage all of this? She's got <laughs> <laughs> classes, workshops, still very busy in graphic design. I know that you often exhibit your work. You've painted murals in various places in and around our community. How do you manage all of those different things? Better now. <laughs> um, 
I guess when I was younger and the kids were younger, I mean, I, I had more energy because I was younger. I was only 25 when I had the kids. So I sort of was pretty energetic, but I was working probably 60 hours a week. And my husband mm. at the time was only doing a little bit of freelance work and he was predominantly caring for the kids. So I was, I, I don't know if it's lucky there because I probably wanted to spend a bit more time with them when they were younger, but it just worked out that my career was, you know, quite busy and he was um, quite happy to be at home with the kids. So I guess we managed it there. We actually divorced about four years ago. So that really changed things. And the kids, I mean, the kids are now, they're about to go 21 and 23 this year. So they're, you know, they're, they're grown up. And I guess the last four years of A, being divorced, um, so not having that person living with you, you know, that you have to think about all the time. And the kid, the kids have lived with me predominantly all that time, but I guess them being so much older, you just have to, you don't have to think about them as much. Like I, you know, I don't cook dinners. I, I can actually have a lot more, I was going to say selfish, but I'm going to say self-care. I can have a lot more self-care now. So I really, really feel like I have a beautiful balance of just managing my time. Like I make sure that I exercise, I make sure that I meditate once or twice a day. I really am looking after myself now. I eat well. I I know when I'm getting, you know, the feeling of just anxiety and sort of, you know, feeling a bit overwhelmed. I actually stop myself now, whereas I used to just push through that and think, I've got to get it done. You know, it's got to be done. It's like nothing bad will happen if it doesn't get done. So I think it, it's been a massive mind mindset shift and just going it's okay it's not a big deal look there'll always be another deadline I learned that through my graphic design you'd try so hard to get something done it had to be to the printers and then something would go wrong and then oh it's okay we'll do it tomorrow and you know you'd think gee I've just sat up all night doing that job to get it done but there's always another deadline Mm. I just have found throughout graphic design there's always another deadline so I guess now I just I, I don't take on more than I think I can handle. So, yes, it sounds like I've got a lot on, but, you know, I've just finished it. I don't do a lot of graphic design now. I, I am very specific about that. I'll only do it for people and businesses that I absolutely connect with. So, you know, I've just finished one for a, a beautiful friend who's opening a cafe and I, I actually asked her, I said, look, I'd really love to do that for you. Um, and she said, oh, you haven't got time. And I said, no, I will make time because it, it means a lot to me to work for you. So, you know, and murals I'll take on. They are they are a big project. But, again, I'll only take on ones that I think I can physically manage. Um, I wouldn't do something so big that it overwhelmed me. So I guess I, I know myself quite well now. So I know what I can and can't take on. And, and I know how to relax, which I didn't know how to do when I had young children I I have had to learn so yeah which is good. I love what you said about knowing yourself now because that's the sense I was getting as you were talking through that that you know how long it might take you to do something what kind of pressure it might involve you know when to take a rest like you've got to know those rhythms and that helps in the in the decision-making process of what you take on and what you don't. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's all that being a recovering people pleaser. I used to say yes to everything and now I just don't. I, I do put the spacer in there and think, yeah, I'll get back to you. And if I, or I, I do follow my gut too. I think, no, nah, 
it's not right or, oh, God, I really want to do that, so how can I fit that in? And I schedule, you know, I just schedule my diary and make sure that I'm sticking to it. So You just said that you are a recovering people pleaser. Indeed. Mm, interesting phrase. Can you talk about how you are recovering from being a people pleaser? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, again, it's, you know, being in a different place in life, like having been married for 24 years, I did meet um, a beautiful man and we spent four years together and we're currently not together. But um, so having different relationships but not in a marriage and having my kids grow up, I guess I've watched, I don't know, I, I, I've watched all of that. I can actually sit back and watch who I was and who I don't want to be now. Um, I don't want to rush. I don't want to be pushed. I don't want to have to say yes to everything. And it has been a really difficult process to work through just in terms of you're so used to saying yes, you're so used to, I mean, people are, are used to me saying yes, oh, Sim will do it, you know, Sim will get it done. And now that I do sometimes say no, that actually hasn't, you know, it's it's a really hard feeling in your body and you have to say no and then sit with the really uncomfortable feeling of that and go, it is okay and it doesn't mean you're a bad person and you're just actually, you know that that job or that thing isn't right for you. So it is absolutely a work in progress. And I do, you know, I guess working with women a lot, I sort of have one, two, six, five, five classes a week that I teach predominantly women. And I can see how pushed they are. And a lot of them do have younger children and that they're stressed and that they are coming to me or to, you know, to an art class just to have a little bit of downtime and do something for themselves, which I think A, is incredibly brave and fabulous that they can actually take that time out of their schedule. But yeah, the people pleasing, the serious people pleasing I see. And now that I'm sort of mildly on the other side of it, I go, oh my God, how what how could I have lived like that? It just, it's so unfair on ourselves. Um, and it's not being authentic. And it it just it takes away a huge chunk of your life when you're doing things that you don't want to do. I guess, yeah, I'm I'm teaching myself. And I think men are a lot better at this, you know, just doing what they want to do and you know my ex-husband probably taught me that quietly I it probably frustrated the hell out of me at the time but he certainly taught that and um my more recent partner certainly taught me that too he was great at just you know going that's not what I want to do so and at first you know I found that quite tricky because it's like well that's just helpful but yeah, I, I'm, I'm taking a leaf out of these men's books, I think, and, and going, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And mm. I'm still a lovely person. I'll still help people. I'll still nurture. But, yeah, I need to put my own oxygen mask on first and then I can help others. You wrote an Instagram post recently and when I read that I was like, yes, I can feel it. So I want to read it out to you and okay. we'll chat about <laughs> it. Um, it's I've played with so many styles and concepts over my time, but this recent work is most authentically me. I know it's not everyone's cuppa, but as a recovering people pleaser, I'm pushing myself into my full self. It's freaking hard to do sometimes. We spend so much of our lives trying to fit in, make sure everyone is happy, not rock the boat, and we certainly don't want to seem selfish. 
Childhood lessons are so difficult to break. Well, at nearly 50, I think it's time I have myself a swift kick up the you-know-what and stepped up before I step off. And when I read that post, I was like, yes, yes, let's talk about that. And I'm so happy for you that you have, you know, made that decision to do things for you. It's not easy. It's not easy, but, you know, (laughs) it feels good. It does feel good. And you were talking about your most recent work and how that feels so right. Mm. What is it about your most recent work that is giving you that feeling that this is most authentically me? I mean, yeah, if anyone looks at my work, you'll see a huge range of diversity. But I think, you know, I've always lived in a quirky sort of brain like Jim Henson and the Muppets and um, Sesame Street was my absolute world and I'm still so, so drawn to that world, you know, anything with fantasy and, and the real and the imagined and, you know, wind in the willows. And so I guess the quirkiness um, is very much me and every time I, you know, I draw my little sort of quirky people, I I do have that little bit of my limbic brain that kicks in and goes, oh, no one's going to like that. You're a nearly 50-year-old woman. What the heck are you doing drawing silly little characters still? And then I, you know, go into my realistic um, sort of faces that are, you know, uh, watercolours and, yeah, definitely more realistic and I think, oh, maybe, you know, adults would like that better. So that's also the bit that I'm trying to shut up all the time and I guess with these yeah new little characters I guess they are they it is me being absolutely me and going oh well stuff it you know and I have only just after all these years I've always been terrified of painting with oils and I've just started painting with oils and oh my god they're so beautiful (laughs) so um even like the technique of painting um these new paintings in oils you know to be able to be slower because they dry so slowly and to be able to blend so beautifully I think that was part of it too it was like oh my goodness I have I think I read a saying recently and and it is it's your fears are your superpowers so actually stepping into the place that you fear most which for me has been oils I've always talked myself out of oh no I don't do oils because they're too scary and they're They take too long to dry or, you know, excuses, excuses. But I feel like I've stepped in and not that they're my superpower yet, but I can feel that they could be because I just love, I do love painting this way with them. So I think that's why it felt so authentic to me and just putting it out there and, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I'm just thinking about that phrase. It was your biggest fears can be your superpowers. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't quite got the wording right on that, but it is. It's basically, um, you know, that that place that you fear the most is quite often your superpower. Yeah. So stepping into those scary, scary places that we run away from can actually, you know, you step into step into it and go, oh my god, nothing bad happened, and actually, I'm glowing. This is a spectacular point. So, and I've really been doing that, pushing myself into scary kind of situations, which for other people may not be scary, but, you know, just little things, just baby steps. And I suppose it is like, oh, nothing bad happened. And I feel really good in this space and I've achieved. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's so true that beautiful things often come from 
those challenging and hard places. Uh, I, I see that a lot when I, or I hear about it a lot when I chat to other artists and I've certainly had experiences myself where there's magic on the other side of what can feel very dark and scary when you are in it. But it's amazing. It's amazing our capacity to grow through those kind of things. Yeah, definitely. So you have worked across many different art styles over the years and you have painted faces, abstracts, florals, you've done graphic design work, illustration work. What have been some of the pros and the cons of having such a diverse range of work? The pros are definitely I don't get bored (laughs) and I guess I've always needed to, yeah, just be flexible in my mind. Um, I don't want to be stuck in one little corner. I want to try lots of things. There's always been an urgency to my life, which I'm trying to sort of work out why that's been, but an urgency. I have to try everything because life is so short and fleeting. And as I get older, I think, well, I mean, definitely it's getting shorter every day, but you know, as long as I'm embracing every day, then that's fine. But so I guess, yeah, the pros have been certainly not being bored. The cons, um, my brain constantly, as many artists I'm sure have felt, goes into I should just have one style and that's what people know me for and, you know, then that's how you become successful as an artist by just having that one thing that people you know, people need simplicity from us, I think, and I certainly don't feel I give them simplicity. I, I do bounce around and I'm highly, highly aware of it. And I'm trying not to now beat myself up too much about being so diverse um, because I feel like it's just part of my process and I've probably really spent most of my life, you know, fulfilling briefs so you know graphic design there'll be a brief and a deadline it's very easy you just have to join the dots um whereas when you're creating art for yourself there's no brief or deadline or the boundaries are limitless so it's kind of a really interesting space to find yourself in because you I feel like you know I want to try everything and I feel there is a settling there's definitely a settling as I guess my my soul and my spiritual side sort of settles in and becomes more confident. I think that will start showing in my work and is showing in my work that there's certainly a, a draw to, you know, be doing more faces and, um, you know, I did dabble in florals and I love flowers but it's probably not my thing and it's something that I could slightly give up. Abstracts I still adore. But, you know, I've been doing abstracts for sort of eight years or so and it's something, you know, abstracts really come absolutely from your soul. Like to teach painting abstracts can be quite challenging. You can teach the technical side but the real soul work that goes into producing an abstract painting is hard to teach. So um, I think being one other pro of being flexible and diverse is my ability to teach and see what other people are producing and, you know, give them ideas of where they might take that that artwork. So, yeah, is that sort of a, enough of a pros and cons list? 
So what are the main areas that you are focusing on at the moment? And when I say areas, I mean like areas of work, like prints, workshops, graphic design, those sorts of things. Probably the two main focuses, um, definitely my classes, which I just absolutely love. Like I, I, I just adore them. Um, I love seeing the growth in other people like me, which is fantastic, and being able to fil- facilitate that space. And keeping on going with my own work. So prints, yeah, I definitely had a, have, you know, a little print shop going, which has been great. I need to do more marketing around all of that stuff. And that is, you know, as you know very well and have talked about immensely is, you know, the marketing yourself is tricky. I just want to do the work, but, you know, marketing is definitely a side that has to be done. But definitely the classes and definitely my own artwork and just keeping on finding my authentic voice in it I think that they will be my main focuses and then you know as a result you know prints and and other things happen Um, and murals just seem to be sort of happening regardless on the side anyway it's certainly not something that I'm pushing pushing because they are a big they're a big thing to take on physically and time-wise so I'll do them when they come up and I've got a few when I get back from my holiday I've got a few to sort of schedule into August and September, but that's fine. So that's where I'm at, I think. So what are the main ways that you sell your own work? Probably more Facebook than Instagram. Um, So advertising on Facebook and leading people to my website and definitely my mailing list. Yeah, they're probably the main ways that I've sold my art and also my students. My students are really beautiful clients in that way as well you know I've got a a little gallery in my studio and or you know they've they've known me and they've asked me to do a commission so um I don't know if if you might have said on one of your podcasts or I've heard someone on some podcast you know don't discount other artists following you and supporting Mm. you because they're quite often you know your customers for for your artwork because I love buying other artists artwork and you know we can actually see what what's being made so yeah Yeah, that's an interesting point because sometimes people will talk about what kind of audience you are attracting. Are you attracting people who are interested in learning your techniques or people that actually want to buy your art? But it's true that often the people that are learning your techniques are also the people that want to buy your art because they make that connection with you and they're super excited to bring one of your pieces into their home yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, that's exactly what it's been. You know, I certainly would feel the same if I, you know, I have done um, courses and things, you know, in, in later years just to sort of tap back in. And, you know, the artists that I have worked with, it's like I would love a piece if there was a piece available and affordable. I would love a piece of theirs because, yeah, you've had you've definitely had a connection with that person and their style and that's why you've taken their course. So, yeah. Do you find that you sell more pieces in person where someone sees your work either in your studio or when you are exhibiting at a gallery or something like that or do you sell more pieces online through things like Facebook and your uh, newsletter list pointing people over to your online shop? Um, definitely in person. So I did take on a space for six months um, out at the uh, Flurio Art House at McLaren Vale and I had a, a little studio space there. So I had set that up as 
sort of a working space, but predominantly as a bit of a, a gallery where I could meet people. And, you know, this was last year during COVID. So, you know, I wasn't able to teach and that was fantastic. And yeah, absolutely. When I would connect with someone, we'd have fabulous conversations. It would generally, you know, not out of any pushiness or any anything except for, you know, a lovely connection. I would definitely sell more pieces that way. I think art needs that behind it. I think, you know, it's all very well to say, oh, that's a lovely piece. But once you connect with the artist and connect with, you know, the soul of that work, yeah, it's a it's a much easier transaction, I guess. Um, and, you know, and I, I would love to meet everyone that buys my artwork. You know, I've had plenty of sales where I don't meet the person or I only meet them on delivery and I sort of almost feel like saying, you know, can we sit down and have a coffee because I want to get to know you and why you've bought my artwork. But it doesn't mean you don't always get that opportunity to do that. So Your studio is such a beautiful place and you have quite a big studio in your backyard and it's just, uh, it's hard to describe. I'm going to link some uh, photos. I'll put some photos in the show notes so that people can see where you, where you make art from or where you teach from. Um, but it's such a warm and friendly environment. It must have been quite an undertaking to create that studio space in your backyard. It was. It's sort of, look, you know, I think the universe works in funny ways. So my husband and I were, you know, we were at the end of our marriage and we'd had bought um, an investment property sort of a year prior to our breaking up. And so that's where I live now. And I guess even at the time, I did see, wow, this has got an enormous shed, like 13 by 6 metre shed. I was like, I think if it did happen, I could maybe do something in that space. Um, So I moved to what was the investment property is now my home. And, yeah, it was, it literally is, it is just an old shed. And I think, so it must be three years ago, three and a half years ago, on my birthday, I just said to my very clever family, I said, right, come over in your scruffies. I don't want to get any presents or anything. We're going to line my shed. And I had this vision of it feeling like a bit of a tree house. So I've lined it, you know, with the isolation and then plywood. Um, so all the ceilings, all the walls, the whole thing's plywood. Um, it had half of the, the studio has got timber floorboard so I was really lucky there I found a window literally on the side of the road and I went right there's another window because it had four but I wanted a big one so that went in there so it was quite an undertaking um it probably took a couple of months of you know a weekend here and there and you know getting some of my kids friends and paying them to come and help me put up the last of the ceiling boards and then it was you know it was fantastic my I'm very lucky my stepdad is so clever and an electrician and so he put in the lights for me which was fabulous but then it was still too hot and too cold so I have put an an air conditioner in there which is brilliant so I can go in there at any time day night winter summer and just be really cozy my students can be cozy or cool and yeah it it does make for a beautiful space I've you know covered it in fairy lights I just want it to feel like a little fantasy world that you know, I love to be in and it's very colourful and fun. So, yeah, it feels good in there. It certainly does. <laughs> I can I can vouch for that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you about uh, selling prints of your work because when I was having a look at your website, I saw that you have quite a range of prints 
And I know that many people that are listening to the podcast are interested in going in that direction. And I know that I often get questions about how do you make prints? What are the options? And so I thought with some of these interviews that I'm doing at the moment, I would ask my guests to share a little bit about how they approach making prints. Well, I suppose, you know, lucky or or just how it happens that I was a graphic designer. So, um, so I guess I already have a background in, I know, you know, I know Photoshop, I know how to photograph things quite well and I had to scan well. So I do produce the file myself. So um, if it depends on what the artwork is, whether I scan it or whether I photograph it. And I've, you know, got some nice little photographic lights and then, you know, I know how to retouch if, if it needs, you know, dust being removed or whatever. I certainly don't digitally enhance any of my work. I want them to feel like, you know, if you looked at the original and you looked at the print that they are the same. Um, whereas, you know, being a graphic designer, it's sort of, it's quite tempting to go, oh, I could just colour shift this, but I, I don't do that so um and then I send them off I've got a couple of places that I send off and um one I can do online or actually I can both send them both off online one's in Melbourne and one's in Adelaide and they produce the G clay prints for me and then I receive them back at home I, I you know double check them I've generally only done limited edition so then I can sign and number them and I supply a little certificate of authenticity you know, just as a little extra thing. Sometimes, you know, I'll send some little greeting cards with it as well and post it off to the client. And, you know, it is it is work. It is, um, you know, if I had too many orders, I guess it might be a little bit overwhelming, but I tend to, you know, I'll produce some prints or as in, you know, I'll, I'll put them up online and then I'll advertise and that's obviously when the sales happen. If I'm not advertising, you know, there's not as many sales obviously. So I guess I... I work out when I'm going to do like a new little series of prints and then, you know, I'll market it, market it then. And that's when the sales tend to happen. So, yeah, but I don't want it to be like the main focus of my business either. Because that's an important consideration when it comes to prints, because it can be quite time consuming, uh, particularly, you know, if you are doing the prints yourself as like the printing part too. Um, but even doing what you you are doing where you're uploading the files and then getting the print back and then signing it and packaging it and putting a certificate and it's it always amazes me how long it takes to just get it does take a long time a print ready to go out and then <laughs> going to the post office yeah then there's the um the posting as well so it's something to consider when looking at whether you are going to add prints onto your into your art business did you choose to do limited edition mainly because you wanted it to be a little bit more special and maybe not so much focused on quantity but more on quality and that kind of emphasis? Yeah, I did um, because I guess, I, you know, quite often I'll, you know, I'll be painting something or I'll post something on social media and someone will say, can I buy it? And, you know, at that point I'm so attached to it and it's like, well, no, but you can have a print. <laughs> so I guess I thought, yeah, I did want it to be a bit more special and, you know, I, I only do runs of maximum 50. So I think, yeah, it, it when I buy a print, I want it to be a limited edition. I don't want it to be an open run, you know, if it's a beautiful artwork, you know, that I'm really attached to, then I think prints are good in terms of, you know, I might spend 15 hours on a you know, an oil painting or something, 
but I can't, I don't feel that I can charge that many hours yet. And having been a graphic designer, you know, I don't want to charge 20 bucks an hour. Like I'm used to earning a lot more than that. So a print is a really great way of being able to, you know, hold on to your original at least for a time and, you know, share, still share the artwork. And the G clay prints are absolutely beautiful and, you know, on cotton rag paper and they're almost like sometimes they're nicer than the original <laughs> because they, you know, don't have, if I haven't varnished or um, sealed my work, you know, you get this beautiful smooth surface and, yeah, they're really lovely. So Yeah, when prints come through and they've been done at the lab, like when we've had them done, I'm always like, whoa, <laughs> they're amazing. <laughs> oh, they're so beautiful. Well, it's that beautiful 12-colour printing process rather than, you know, our four or five-colour ones that we have at home and they're just, yeah, they're stunning. I spray, spray the ink on the paper and it's, yeah, it's very fine, very beautiful. So what kind of pieces do you photograph versus scan? There are two reasons I would choose photography over scanning and one would be, I guess, scanning physically. Like if I've got an A4 piece, great, easy. I have a beautiful A4 600 DPI scanner. I did um, borrow a, an A3 one for a while there and that was great too. Um, but sometimes because I do a lot of mixed media work, you know, the the sheen levels of perhaps the paint or whatever I've got on there, the scanner with, you know, because it's got the light sort of beating through, sometimes the light is just too bright on the scan and it picks up too much detail and it can pick up, you know, the texture of the paper and things that you might actually might not visually add to the work. So then I'll choose to photograph it. So if I photograph, I can do it. Obviously, it's from a distance. It, it's not as absolutely as sharp. I can still get it really sharp, but I can just change the lighting, change the exposure a little bit um, and just make sure that everything is sort of at the same sheen level, I guess. So, and, you know, with bigger works too, if I've got a canvas that, you know, might be a metre square, I'm not going to scan that. So um, that's definitely a photographic kind of job so yeah it just depends on what the original is what I choose. That's interesting we've certainly had that experience where sometimes we scan something and it's showing things in a way that we as you described it it doesn't add to the artwork or sometimes the paint colours might be reacting a little bit funny especially if you've used like fluorescent colors or things like that yeah Yeah, fluoros do not scan they don't scan um and yeah (laughs) and you're just like oh okay what's going on here and we've we've shifted over then to um photographing and similar to you it's not really like a blanket rule it depends on the individual piece you know you can get a pretty good photograph these days so it gives you that option, you know, you can use a photograph rather than a scan if you want to. So another area that you are well known for is painting murals. How did you get started with this? And I'm curious to know how different is it from working on canvas or paper? I've never painted a mural, so I have no experience with it. What can you tell me? Um, it was funny. I did think about this and I thought the first, I guess, mural that I created I bought a unit when I was 21 and I painted one of the rooms the whole like all of the walls all of the ceiling all of the furniture all in like clouds like so blue and then white clouds over the whole thing and then I thought back and I thought even when I was about 14 I painted a couple of cupboards in like cow print so I've obviously always had it in me to 
kind of go big. But then I didn't really do much after that. And in my studio in Parkside, I'd painted a couple of big wall, uh, big birds on the wall, just line work stuff, and I really enjoyed that. And then I had, um, there's a cafe down near me that a girlfriend owns and she asked me if I'd paint a wall in there. And I kind of, you know, of course went into instant panic of, oh, God, I couldn't possibly do that, you know, how could I do that, you know, blah. <laughs> but I, of course, went, no, step into the fear and say yes. So I said yes. And she said, oh, you know, can you do it when the customers are there and, you know, they can watch on and that would be really entertaining. And I just went, no. Uh, oh my god, no, that sounds terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> I said, I'll do it at night and then they can come in in the morning and they can see it. So I did that and I absolutely just loved working big. Um and I suppose the challenges were um different paint. So, you know, I'm using wall paint as as opposed to, you know, my artist acrylic paints. So they handle differently. They they tend to trash the brushes so therefore I'm losing the point on my brush really quickly different so I had in that first mural that I did I had two different surfaces so one was uh, just a very flat painted surface and the other was like a you know sort of a stucco look that went around the corner so I had you know the image going across this smooth surface and then a rough surface and I had to work out how to get that line looking like it's one line but it's on a very different surface. So it was then working out, um, okay, so when I go onto a a rough surface I need more paint, more water, it's got to be more liquidy but not too liquidy that it runs and then when I go onto the smooth surface, you know, that's a whole different thing. But then different paint surfaces accept the paint in different ways. So some of it was hard to paint, some of it was easy. So that first one was quite a good little learning curve and I've subsequently repainted that wall so we had the image up there for two years and then um, you know Lisa said right it's time to do a new one so she painted it all white again and off I went and that was great so it was really fun doing um, the second time round. but it was really interesting to also see my work there and then all of a sudden it's been painted over (laughs) in white it was like oh well goodbye (laughs) Um, but to have the opportunity to do it again so I've been doing some work, um, or I did some work at a paediatrician. So they bought an enormous building. And so I think they're probably about 15 rooms that I've painted um, just line work. So we wanted, to, wanted it to be really simple. And that was quite nice because I, again, could have the space to myself, you know, shut the door, put on my podcast or my music and just paint away. And a lot of that stuff I don't I plan to a point, so, you know, like there might be a dinosaur room. So all I will do will give myself some little sketches and then it really, it was all freehand. It was all, okay, let's just go for it. And just having enough confidence to go, I know what I'm doing. I'm just painting big. And I must say painting big is quite exhilarating and quite fun. And, you know, there's that stepping back and stepping forward and not getting too caught up in the detail. So a little bit of letting go, a little bit of, you know, just trusting that process. Um, and then I've, yeah, done quite a lot of work for a, a childcare centre um, and they, she said to me the other day, I'm just addicted and I'm just going to keep finding walls for you to paint, which is <laughs> fantastic. Right. Um, so, again, different. So the first one I did for them was really detailed and colourful and was 24 hours work and I had to seal it all because little tiny kids are walking past it, you know, putting their feet on it and hands on it. So I've sealed it with marine varnish. Um, but that was on a, 
I think what was that on like a like a cement board type surface so that even that was a different surface to paint on and then they had a rendered wall and this wall would have been I reckon that must be about four and a half meters tall and I was standing right on top of the ladder painting going this is probably a little bit crazy at my age to be doing this because it's physically quite demanding as well but I did really enjoy it and you know it's obviously weather dependent and um, I guess I'm yeah getting faster at doing what I'm doing out there and just yeah again just enjoying the process and fully designing it before I go in just sort of having having enough knowledge of what I want to do having some sketches you know having my color palette in my head and then just kind of going for it and you know and then looking at how the light's reacting and I oh, wouldn't it be cool if you know there was a bird up there or um, you know if the kids walk around the corner and there's a whole bunch of ants you know walking along so there's lots of decisions that are being made on the spot I suppose so yeah but diff- very 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 different to working on canvas and paper kind of a little bit freer in a way but also scarier because quite a few of these walls I didn't have the base color so I couldn't if I'd stuffed it up I couldn't paint over it oh my goodness so I just yeah it's sort of <laughs> like oh well just going for it I guess and yeah I don't know just letting go letting go of perfectionism definitely. you are so brilliant at what you do <laughs> like I'm amazed you know as you said not to have the base color and to be able to paint the kind of murals that you do with just a rough plan is amazing what's well, amazing to me anyway and I'm wondering when you did your first mural did you have a more specific like tight plan with that one and then did your confidence grow so that you could then do it in a more intuitive way no I actually didn't <laughs> like the first one was probably the loosest wow um, I kind of went I know I want to do some birds and I think, you know, there's almost that point of where you go, the less you know, the better. Like the more I've learnt, the more terrified I almost become and it's like I've got to unlearn some of these things and just have that freedom of, I mean, I didn't know. I'd I'd went, oh, I I don't know, I guess I'll just get a paintbrush and go for it. So and and I just thought it was just a big canvas and, you know, I worked out there are a few differences in there but you know, the more you sort of get to know and the more you talk to people, it's like, oh, maybe I should have done that, but, you know, maybe I should have planned it a bit more, you know, but I was really, really happy with that first outcome. The second one I actually did plan a little bit more um, only because it was a little bit more layered and it was less line work, it was more solids and I did plan it a bit more. And if I plan it, it takes less time, obviously, so because I'm not sitting there going, oh, right, where do I go now? You know, <laughs> what can I feel? What, what, do I, what do I, what can I do now? So, you know, there's a bit of both, but certainly spending the hours, you know, and it is when you're planning prior, it's hours and hours and hours of work. So, but it saves the hours of work on the other end. But I, I guess I want to have the freedom of, you know, showing the client, this is sort of what it will be. But if I decide in the moment to make some different decisions, I don't want you to sort of go hang on there was no bird there in your plan like I I want to have that freedom to be able to go well it needed another flower or it needed a few more butterflies or whatever it is that I do so yeah and it sounds like you've got the perfect balance between the two yeah seems to be well it's working so far (laughs) at this point (laughs) I remember now I had a question and it was around um classes and what your experience was like during COVID 
when you had to switch over into online classes? Um, yeah, boy, that was big for everyone, wasn't it? Just massive. Um, I mean, I think I cried for the first three days. <laughs> I just was so, I was, you know, halfway through term one and I just, I guess I spend a fair bit of time by myself and, you know, having those beautiful classes with these gorgeous women is part of my social life as well. So there was, it was double-edged. It was like, I can't teach now. I don't get to hang out with these beautiful people. How can I still give to them? So I did. I jumped into action and I went, well, I've never done an online class, but, you know, can't be that hard. (laughs) You know, I've got some skills in you know, graphic design and look, looking back at those first couple I did, it was like, oh, wow, okay. And I, I did a whole bunch of just technique stuff and I thought I'll just put them out there for free because, you know, I don't feel that, you know, it was all that insecurity stuff of these aren't worth money yet, you know, because I'm still learning how to do this. Um, and, you know, and then as I, I did a few, I kind of got better and then I thought, well, I'll just charge a little bit for them. And they were great and they did quite well during COVID, um, you know, and occasionally still sell one here or there. Um, and I, it is something that I might work on again, but as you know, it's very time consuming and yeah, whether it, it gives back as much joy as teaching in person, but yeah, that transition. But I think even, you know, as COVID, as especially in South Australia, we were so lucky. We we didn't have lockdown for very long and we could go back. I think most artists that I have spoken to all went, what? What, what do you mean we're finished lockdown? You know, we were we were just getting into lockdown mode and quite enjoying the the um just the silence, I think. It, I felt like the whole world kind of caught up with the way that I like to live. Like I, I like to now live a bit slower and, you know, be able to spend some time on things and not rush and not have to be sociable every single day and just the pressure of life. So in the end, I actually really, really enjoyed the time and I didn't go back to classes when I possibly could have. I thought, no, there's still some more work that I need to do on myself to be ready for that. And so I did. So I what did I do? I, it's all a blur now, but I, I spent, well, I went down to the Fleurieu Art House, which was great, um, and spent some time down there and met some beautiful people. I've still got some work, you know, sort of in the gallery space down there, but I don't spend any time there. I did some online classes myself. I painted, I painted and painted and painted, which was fantastic. I really enjoyed just painting for me. And then, yeah, it's only been this term that I've actually gone back to full-time teaching. So I really took my time going back and I branched out or sort of reached out, should I say, to other artists to just sort of check in and go, you know, people that I might not have really known. Uh, one beautiful artist I reached out to was Sarah McDonald, and I now actually teach her Tuesday class. So I teach two of her classes on a Tuesday, which has been really lovely. It's the first real actual job I guess I've had in <laughs> 25 years. Um, yeah, so it has it really has changed things. COVID, it's it's sort of a a reset of such. Yeah, it's so good to hear the the positive impacts of COVID um, because you know there have been many hard things about COVID, but also some great stories that have come out of it. So it's good to hear that from you, that it's been beneficial and a, a reset and got you sort of focused on the the art that you want to make and the way that you want to show up as an artist in the world. I reckon that brings me to my last question, which is 
taking some time to think back over your art career so far, I want you to tell me or share with me what success means for you as an artist now and maybe even reflect on whether that has changed from the early days. I'll jump into yes, it's changed. Um, I think success for me when I was younger, I guess as an artist but more, you know, graphic design artist, it was there was definitely some, you know, more ego with it, you know, doing all the work for State Theatre. I had billboards on every street corner and it was like, oh, that's my work, that's my work, that's my work. That, you know, it was everywhere, which was a lovely little ego boost. I was probably earning double what I was, what I'm earning now, which was great. But I think success for me now, it certainly is not financially based. It is absolutely about having a clear mind, being able to produce artwork that I love more than caring about what other people think about it, you know, and that is definitely a work in progress, but yeah, success is just, it's balance. It's making sure that I'm not running myself ragged. It's looking at my younger self and going, okay, I'm going to look after you now because I certainly didn't look after you when you were younger. And also being able to impart some of that, call it wisdom, you know, on, on others to just go, you can slow down and you can, you don't need to do all of the things all of the time. So I guess, yeah, that's actually probably success in, in life and in my art practice because I'll tell you, you know, they're, they're hand in hand as we all know. You know, I just I don't think life and art are two separate entities. I think they, you know, they all combine and um, entwine. So, yeah, that's probably what it means to me. Well, thank you so much, Sim, for such a beautiful conversation to hear all about your story and you've been so honest and generous. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you, everyone, for being here. If you're curious about Sim's art, classes and beautiful studio, head on over to Sim's Instagram at Simone Linehan Artist and her website, simonelinehan.com. And if you connected with this episode, a lovely way to say thank you to the artist and to let them know is to share an Instagram story, making sure you tag Sim and also me at Laura Horn Art. You can also find out more about my own art, podcasts and classes if you head on over to laurahornart.com. Next week, I have another interview for you. I'm chatting with Stephanie Stark about starting an art career later in life, exhibiting through galleries and dealing with rejection. I hope that you'll join us for that one and that you have a wonderful week.